0: Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shanks Show. Happy Thursday and welcome to our broadcast. I'm Bill Shanks in Waycross again. Russ Brown back in Macon. Appreciate you being with us on this Thursday. Have a lot to talk about. Great month of sports, of course, and the tournaments in basketball, college basketball are getting obviously to the uh, important stages now. A lot of fun to take a look at. And of course, football is unbelievable with spring football going on and many of the locations around the south, Georgia getting ready to go on Tuesday, which is fun to think about. Fun to preview and get ready for. And, of course, the NFL with the free agency starting in about six days. Cannot wait for that either. Baseball getting prepared down in Florida. So we have some Braves to talk about today. Basketball. We'll start with basketball. And, Russ, we joke every day before the Hawks games about what do we expect to see for that coming game will undoubtedly say it again tomorrow before their second game in Washington against the, the Wizards. Last night, what a great game. What, a, what an entertaining game. You know, that that's the one thing that I, I don't think we can say about every team that struggles to get over the 500 mark, that they do play entertaining games. And, and there have been, you know, the first game that Quinn coached, was it, was it Cleveland, I believe, last week? Uh, it was a very entertaining game. Hawks lost, and it stunk that they lost. No doubt about it. Not fun. But last night, what a fun game to watch between Atlanta and Washington, and the Hawks came out on top with a 122-120 performance. Again, a lot of points. Trey Young had 28, Dejounte Murray 17, and and they'll go at it again tomorrow. But you know. A, uh, we we can expect this Hawks team to 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 play hard and go out there and and uh, I think obviously with exception of those two games right before the All Star break, Russ, uh, they they have done that for the most part, especially for Quinn Snyder. But last night, that was a pretty good pretty good ball game.
1: Yeah, I thought so. Um, I think the effort is becoming more consistent, which is is good to see. Uh, Quinn Snyder did note that there were still some. Parts of the game where he thought the effort could have been a lot better, and, and I tell you, the Trey Young talking more about defense—that's um, hmm. uh, that's, that's <laughs> kind of the first real big noticeable difference I've seen since Quinn Schneider took over. And they, even the Hawks, even sent out a tweet earlier today, and it was Trey Young, you know, going in and, and still in the basketball, and 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 it's—I can't remember exactly—it was something like two-way Trey engaged or something like that. I don't know, but it, it <laughs> just—it seems like. For whatever reason, Lloyd Pierce and Nate McMillan could not get through to Trey Young, and it feels like within 10 days, it seems, Quinn Schneider's already made that connection, and we're seeing a better effort from him on the defensive side. I mean, there's going to be limitations because of his size. He can't do anything about that, but he's controlling what he can control with that defense, and that's effort, which is great to see. Had three steals last night, as did Murray, of course, and and
0: it was uh – you know, it was just a lot of activity. It was, it was, a, it was just back and forth. It was a really good, entertaining ball game, and and uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed rooting for the Hawks. I mean, they it was kind of a back and forth game once again. Russ, AJ Griffin, a DNP, but Jalen Johnson, ten points, and uh, I I haven't really seen Quinn Snyder say anything about that. So uh, you know, I I I, I don't really want to speculate as to what it could be although I think obviously he likes Jalen Johnson I I mentioned I think on Tuesday the quote that he had made about James Johnson's ability to to kind of play both sides and and maybe that's it maybe there is you know defense in Jalen's game that he does appreciate and and uh, likes out there he's a good rebounder for a small 40 he had four last night he seems to I think he had one game what about a month ago, Russ, where he had like twelve rebounds, I think, in a game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, he's and he. I mean, he's he's obviously got the attention of the new head coach.
1: Yeah, that, you know, and, and that's another big difference is is Jalen Johnson's playing time is going up. I think for AJ Griffin, I think it's getting uh, acquiring Sadiq Bay and wanting to play Jalen Johnson more. There's just not a, enough minutes really right now yeah. to get him in the game, but. You know, this is something that we've wanted to see since Jalen's rookie year was to get more playing time and, and we're getting to see that now. And I think he can be a really good young player. And and you know, and I wonder not to get too far ahead, but as we get into this offseason, season, would they try to, you know, maybe trade DeAndre Hunter or something like that to get more minutes for A. J. Griffin and, and free up some space to make some other moves to, to reshape this roster a little bit. Oh yeah, I think that could be a very good possibility. There's some pieces on this team that
0: should be marketable, right? I mean, I think that's something that the front office should be very excited about, and that is that hey, um, you know they they've got some players that should be attractive to other teams and should have some decent value. So it's going to be fun to kind of watch uh, how it goes on. I know that Bogey Bogdanovich has a player option for next year, so he can opt out of of that deal. So you wonder how much uh, flexibility they're going to have in their roster with him leaving. Of course, the contracts are are a little higher now with Hunter and Trey Young. And, of course, they still have the DeJounte Murray deal that they have to come to an agreement on at some point here in the future. I think there's still a little, a little time, but... It's uh, it's something that's going to have to be addressed at some point. So <clears throat> we will see how that uh, kind of unfolds there. But they'll play Washington again tomorrow night and again try to get over that 500 mark and stay there. They need to do that. They just are back and forth. It's been uh, uh, almost a month where they have not gotten too far back or too far ahead over the 500 mark, and they need to do that to have a shot. Uh, of of moving up in that Eastern Conference, that is a very very competitive conference right now. All right, um, college basketball just saw something. I'll slide this in here. Mark Fox, remember him, former coach at Georgia. He has been fired as the coach at California after four years. The Golden Bears were never any good for Mark Fox this past year. <coughs> We thought Georgia was bad a year ago. How about California? Three wins and twenty-nine losses. Yeah, that'll get you fired, I think. Three and twenty-nine was their record this past year, and last year they were twelve and twenty. Year before that, nine and twenty, and in his first year, California was fourteen and eighteen. So Mark Fox had a record of thirty-eight and eighty-seven, winning only three. 30% of his games there in California, and everybody thought, well, he could coached in Nevada. Might be a good spot for him to go to. He had taken a year off in between the jobs at Georgia and Cal, and, uh, boy, they never could get on track there, and that that was a mess. So Mark Fox, who knows what his future is. I'm sure he's made a ton of money in his career, but still, he has not had a whole lot of success as a college basketball coach. You may remember that in his Nine years at Georgia, he was only 30 games over 500 and had a lot of years where they were hovering around that 500 mark. So, Mark Fox did make it in his job after the Georgia job as he leaves Cal after four years. Speaking of his old team, Georgia lost last night to LSU 72 67. And I went back and forth on that there at the end. That was an entertaining game. Uh, <clears throat> Georgia. Had the lead there late and had a shot and couldn't keep LSU down. And Georgia finishes at 16-16 and 16 on the year. They had lost six in a row, nine of their last 11 games. And, Russ, I, I really wonder if they had not had that six-game losing streak there and had gone, you know, three-and-three, four-and-four or something like that, four-and-two rather, something better than losing their last six because they've gotten into
1: one of those other postseason NIT-type tournaments. Yeah, you wonder. I mean, they were close. And, you know, obviously, I, th- I think that postseason experience definitely would have benefited this team in the midst of their uh, rebuild, I guess you could say. But, no, I mean, it, I really wish they could have found a way to win that game last night just because it would have been a little bit better taste going into the offseason. But, you know, it's it's still a step in the right direction. And I think last night – you know, in the second half, when when Coach White didn't put a kendo back in the game, and it was just you know kind of having a feel for the moment and a feel for the team, sort of a thing, and you saw them respond immediately and come back. You know, I i think you know that that showed me a lot about Mike White as an in-game coach. Which you know now, talent acquisition is the key, but once you get that talent, I, I think there's definitely a guy in in place in Athens that can do something with it. Yeah, I think so too.
0: I. Very excited to see what the future holds. And it's all about recruiting, all about getting those players in there. Uh, we know that for sure. And now, of course, with Georgia Tech season also over after their loss to Pittsburgh yesterday, 89-81, uh, now the question is what's going to happen with Josh Pastner. They finished the season at 15-18 and 18 on the year. They won seven of their last ten games of the season and, uh, of course, the eight-point loss yesterday to Pittsburgh, a disappointment after they beat FSU in the first round earlier in the week. And, you know, as, as we talked about a little bit yesterday, and 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 uh, I think it's going to be a topic until this is settled one way or the other, I don't know if they capped him that it will necessarily be a statement out saying, well, we decided not to fire him. But I, I guess there will be some indication that, he will be retained if, in fact, that's the decision that's made. But Josh Pastner has made it hard on a J-Bat to make this decision. He's not a J-Bat hire. We, I have no idea what J-Bat's interest is in basketball, and, and I don't say that flippantly because, Russ, when, when you don't know an AD, and we don't know him, he's new. How do we know what he feels about basketball? He, you know, he may not give a damn about that. He may just want football to be successful. And I'm again, I'm not trying to be flipping about it, but ads have their priorities.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the we, look football is the money maker. Uh, we know that, so you got to get that fixed first. And he's done that, and and it just and some people have wondered, you know, is it a good idea to start over in football and basketball in the same year? Well, I mean, if if it's warranted, then yeah, sure, but. Josh Pastor and that that team have definitely made it very tough on him. And, and Josh Pastor in his post-game comments following the loss to Pitt yesterday was very adamant yeah. that he still wants to be the Georgia Tech head coach. So, again, I think it's a tough decision in terms of, you know, what direction do you go here? Because what you don't want to do is bring him back and have a repeat of of what we saw this season, because then you feel like, well, then you're obviously you're definitely going to make a move, and you're a year behind. Uh, that's the bad news. That's the tough part. The the good part is because of what they did down the stretch, and and because Josh has been there for so long, I think you know regardless of which direction they decide to go, I think fans are going to be behind it uh, no matter what.
0: I think so, and and uh, I I would be surprised if there's a a heavy super opinion one way or the other about this and i'm not saying they're indifferent about it but i think you know there may be some out there who are like yeah, all right he had a shot let's try someone else but then you can't say you're not impressed by the fact that this team knowing that he was under the gun and on the hot seat won seven of the last 10 games and you know if there is another option out there who may be better then it's a no-brainer go get him and again, Jay Bat, uh, not knowing what he has in his background with basketball uh, compared to football, it's a little bit more difficult to, to to try to gauge that. I think that that pastor's comments, though, were very important. Not that we doubted his uh, uh, you know affection from for uh, Georgia Tech by any means, um, but I think him coming out and saying, "Hey, look, I want to be here." And I, I think we can do better, and I think we can move forward here. I, I think had to get Jay's attention because that, that's what you want to hear is is someone's fighting for their right to continue here and be here. And so it's going to be an interesting decision. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you wonder if there is some uh, coach out there with with ties to the to the college that would be a, a good replacement. Or, or, again, if Jay Batt has someone in his mind that he would like to target – someone that he thinks could be a, a good fit for what they're trying to, to do there. I mean, this is – this is um, I don't know if there's a bigger move and a decision that an athletic director has to make when it comes to his job than whether or not to keep or to let go of a coach in any sport. I mean, I know football gets the attention, but believe me, those athletic directors suffer through decision-making when it comes to all the other sports as well because people's lives are involved and. And not all of them are paid buco some money like basketball and and football coaches. So it's it's not an easy decision. And this won't be either considering what Georgia Tech did to kinda of get back uh in a in a in a good way. I mean look, if this hadn't happened, we'd be waiting for the press conference. Let's be honest, Russ. That that's the truth. If this uh, if this better stretch here of winning seven of the last ten
1: had not happened, it'd be win. This is going to happen, right? Yeah. Are they just waiting on the tournament to to get over yeah. with? Is the question we'd be to ask, but because it got to a point, Bill, where we weren't even really talking about it anymore, because it just seemed like a foregone conclusion. Um, and yeah. now, now it's obviously, like you said, a very difficult decision that has to be made. Now, it's tough. It's tough. No, no doubt about it. So we'll see
0: exactly what happens. And um, uh, Alex says, BJ Elder. Is on pastor staff. Is that someone that could be a replacement?
1: You think, Russ? Or What do you think? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously a former player um, yeah. who was on the team that went in the national championship game. But I, I, I don't know. You know, from an experience standpoint, you know, if 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 he's ready for something like that. Hmm. Well, that's uh, again. You gotta have someone in mind when you make a change.
0: You gotta have someone there on your list. So. We'll see who's on Jay Bat's list if, in fact, he decides to pull the trigger and, and make the change. Um, but the tournaments are going on, so a lot of that coaching changes. I mean, we we just told you about Mark Fox. I mean, my God, they were three and twenty nine. He probably probably wanted to get the hell out of there before they fired him. But uh, a lot of these coaching moves are going to be made once these teams are eliminated. And uh, of course, we saw what happened at Syracuse yesterday, where Jim Beheim got fired. Oh man, there was a euphoric feeling of that comment right there,
1: Russ. I just kind of enjoyed
0: that, to be honest with
1: you. I, I, I think it was felt uh, all the way here in Macon. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. That sounded that sounded. I mean, I, that's what I, happened. That's exactly what happened. I mean, for 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 me, he's one of one. I, there's no other person I would feel that way about. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm I'm with you. I mean, it was
0: obvious after seeing more. Uh, even though we, I think, knew it yesterday when we were reading some of the comments of some of the reporters that uh, they did not want him back and that they thought it was time for a change. Yeah, it's always difficult when those kind of coaches like Lou Carnesecca and John Thompson and those guys that have been around their programs forever. Lou was the St. John's coach. And, of course, uh, John Thompson at at Georgetown. You know, it's always – Difficult to kind of sever the tie with someone like that. Boeheim had been there 47 years, so that was
1: even more difficult, but not for someone who's a putz. <laughs> that's
0: no, just I, what he is. Uh, he
1: made it easy. And uh, yeah. I, I had David Hill on the midday show, and David, of course, went to Syracuse and, and has had interaction with Jim Boeheim. And he was like, you know, and, and I, <laughs> it's hard to argue with what David said. He was like, that's he is who he is. I mean, there's nothing phony about him but he he thinks what he thinks, and he doesn't care what you think about what he thinks.
0: <sighs> Lord of mercy, he's something now he's something i'm I hope he enjoys his retirement and gets away from the game. I hope nobody will be dumb enough to hire that old goat. That's for sure, but coaching change is going to happen, and uh it's it's about that time in college basketball, just like we go through in December for college football. It's starting to happen now, as we saw with Mark Fox getting the axe out in California. Let's take a break, come back, talk football. The Orlando Ledbetter had an interesting article in the AJC this afternoon. We'll talk about that. More candidates for the Falcons as free agency is now six days away. Then we'll talk about the Bravos who uh, are playing down in Florida. With Russ Brown back in Macon, I'm Bill Shanks in Waycross. You are listening to The Bill Shanks Show. Welcome back. Thanks for being with us here on this Thursday. We appreciate your listening and time to talk a little Falcons football now as we are six days away from the start of free agency in the NFL. It's going to be a very active time for the Atlanta team who has a ton of cap room and a ton of needs. The combination of that means we're going to see some free agent deals flying next week for the Falcons. The Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution had a list of ten players who he thinks could be targets for the Falcons. For the second time now, he has mentioned Javon Hargrave. He writes, despite all the cautious talk and right-type speak, the Falcons need help stopping the run and getting after the quarterback on defense. The top defensive tackle in free agency is Hargrave, who is 6'2", 305, a seven-year veteran. He's been in one Pro Bowl. The former South Carolina State product is durable. He's played in 111 games, 96 starts the Steelers and Eagles. In a career-high 11 sacks last season, playing next to Fletcher Cox, and Jordan Davis. He'll fit in nicely to Grady Jarrett. And he's got a quote from Howie Roseman, the Eagles GM. Are we going to get all of our free agents back? We're just not. We're not capable of getting all those back. And I think Hargrave is someone who, you know, look, when we started to look at that list and Russ and I have talked at length numerous times about the possibility of having someone compliment Grady Jarrett on that line of scrimmage. And who better, Russ, than someone who is coming off a season where he had 11 sacks, got after that quarterback, and obviously being near someone like a Cox and Davis uh, was able to play at a high level with someone else. I mean, to me, that – that matters, and it shows you that, you know, he was able to compliment their game, and and I think he can compliment Grady Jarrett. The thought of that excites the heck out of me. What do you think about
1: that? Yeah, well, you know, the the, the first part of, of sacking a quarterback is getting them into obvious passing situations by stopping the run, right? Yep. Uh, and, and he would definitely help do that, and I think you make a really good point about, you know, Grady Jarrett already being there. You know, the problem Grady's having right now is he gets doubled and triple teamed every game, and there's nobody – you know, the Falcons really haven't been able to make teams pay for that. And if you bring Hargrove in, you know, regardless, maybe they want to double, triple team Hargrove, I don't know. But, you know, you can make the the other team pay for, for that and, and get in those one-on-one matchups in the interior if you bring somebody like that next to, to Grady Jarrett. And I like that idea too because uh, of bringing the interior guy in uh, via free agency because I just think it will be a cheaper option than – um, you know, if you sign an edge rusher out of free agency, you can, you know, hopefully find the edge in, you know, well, they've got a few guys on the team already and they brought Lorenzo Carter back, but you can also find that in the draft this year, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And as
0: we talked about yesterday, when as we sit here and try to figure out what the Falcons are going to do next week and then are going to do in the draft, I think we'll have a better indication of, of the kind of the way they're going to go toward the draft after we see who they're going to sign in free agency. Uh, D. Orlando mentioned a couple of other defensive tackles, including Dalvin Tomlinson, the former Henry County star, who of course played at Alabama, played four seasons with the Giants, then was with the Vikings for the past two years. Six-three, three hundred twenty-five pounds, made ninety-three starts in ninety-three games, thirteen career stat uh, sacks, and of course, uh, like Hargrave, would help solidify the defense. So, obviously, he's a, a very big possibility, and he's big, no question. Then David Anya Emata. Is that how you pronounce it, Russ? Sure. Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> he's 6'4", 300, whatever the hell his name is. Played for the enemy, so we don't really want him very much. But he's uh, he's big. He's, um, he's someone who, of course, Terry Fontenot will know about. Uh, The Saints found him in the Canadian Football League. He is from Nigeria, played for Manitoba in the CFL, and he has 23 sacks in his career, and he plays the run very well. So that's another one uh, to keep in mind, and he's big as well, of course. Then he mentioned Sheldon Rankins, another defensive tackle who has a tie to Atlanta. He played in Eastside High School in Covington. Before going on to Louisville, he was picked 12th by the Saints and Terry Fontenot in 2016. He played five years with New Orleans, the past two with the Jets, started 15 games last year, and um, uh, there you go. Then he writes, one could see the Falcons going for Hargrave, Tomlinson, and then on on Yamada or Rankins. Wow, Russ. So that, that, I, I think. And of course, D. Orlando's like us. He's always been line of scrimmage guy, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised that he would kind of put it that way, but he's pretty much saying, look,
1: here's four candidates and they could get two of them. Yeah. No, and that's that's what's so exciting about this offseason is if you make the right moves in free agency and the draft, and I mean, you're not going to hit on everything in the draft, but if you hit on your first two picks, say, uh, let's say it that way, you know, you can turn this thing around pretty quick. Um, yep. It doesn't take long to, revamp an NFL roster uh, is taking this regime a little bit longer because they were in salary cap hell. But now that you're out of it, you can really go make a splash. And I think, I think there's enough going on in Atlanta to make it an attractive place for free agents. Maybe – I mean, look, if you're trying to win a championship, you're not going to sign with the Falcons. I get that. But, you know, guys that you can go to and honestly say, hey, if, if, if you decide to come here and sign with us – you know you could be a big piece of what we're trying to do to turn this thing around and and not and not have that just be a load of crap i mean that's a legit thing this team really can i mean look they they won 7 games last year with 80 plus million dollars of of dead cap money so you know what can they do now that they have to can they turn that around to a 10 and 7 season i don't i don't think that's out of the question
0: yep and he also mentioned Ashawn robinson another defensive tackle from the rams and the only other one that i had uh, listed, well, a couple of them that I listed. Draymond uh, um, Jones from the Broncos, who is 6'3, 281, a little bit smaller, obviously, but he had six and a half sacks last year. Zach Allen, a little bit smaller as well, 6'4, 281, five and a half sacks last year. I kind of went looking for players who had sacks. Puna Ford is a smaller 5'11", 3'10 guy for the Seahawks who had three sacks last year. And um, and I had uh, Anya Mehta, uh listed as well because of that tie with the Saints. All right, so the other players that he listed, he did mention Jesse Bates who obviously is – I mean, Russ and I have joked that it's um, – someone who we would almost be shocked by now if he did not come to Atlanta. He's 6'1", 200 pounds. He went to Wake Forest, second-team All-Pro after the 2020 season, and he was on a franchise tag last year. And they, um, they don't want to lose him, but they have to start freeing up some money for a guy by the name of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, who's going to cost a a fortune. And their the Bates' agent is uh, – He actually released a post on social media and tagged Bates and A.J. Terrell, Casey Hayward, and Kyle Pitts to kind of kick off the speculation that this could happen. Bates would help secure the back end of the defense and leave Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins to compete for the other spot. And that is something I think we would all be excited about. And, again, I, I would almost be shocked if he's not a Falcon by this time next week. Now, uh, he mentions um, more of the defense. Marcus Davenport, the defensive end, and that's someone who we've wondered about. Again, the tie-in with Terry Fontenot since Davenport was with the Saints. Uh, D. Orlando wrote he's been somewhat of a disappointment over 63 games and 32 starts. He has 21-and-a-half career sacks, but he could be reunited with his position coach in Ryan Nielsen. So, again, not only the Terry Fontenot tie, the Ryan Nielsen as well. And let's see. Okay, that's the only defensive end he mentions. Then let's go to offense. He mentions Mike McGlinchey, Matt Ryan's cousin, who's 6'8", 3'10", and he played at Notre Dame mostly at right tackle. The Falcons would have to consider him an upgrade over Caleb McGarry, but both allowed six sacks less, last season. McGlinchey received a 71.5 pro football focus grade, McGarry, an 86.6. If the Falcons don't get a tackle in free agency, they can draft one in the draft with the eighth overall pick. And I think that's what's going to be curious to me uh, next week, Russ. We talked with Brent Rollins yesterday, and it was – I kind of agreed with his thought process of defense with the free agency and offense with the draft. Um, I mean, they've got to they've got to have another at least a guard, I think, through free agency. Uh, but as far as the big guy, and you know, we've mentioned obviously we we've, we've mentioned Orlando Brown, and and he does not mention Orlando on here, which I'm a little surprised about. He did mention. Isaiah Wynn, who's an offensive tackle, of course, who used to play with the Georgia and has played with with the Patriots for the last few years. He mentioned Dalton Reisner, a guard for the Broncos. He mentions also Isaac Samula, a guard for the Eagles, who is a free agent. Um, and so there's free agents out there, but – is there going to be one of the big signings? I don't even know if McGlinchey would be. Would he? Would
1: he be a huge signing or, or kind of a – I don't know. No. That's kind of a question for me. Yeah, I don't – I mean, I don't think he would. I mean, it would be a replacement for Caleb McGarry. I don't know that I would say it would be an upgrade uh, from McGarry. I mean, it's – I look, it's – if if he moves uh, – if Caleb McGarry moves along, I mean, you're going to have to fill that slot. So, I don't. I don't think it would be something that people would scratch their heads about. But – no, I, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't consider that an upgrade or a big signing at all. Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, he's not a bad player. I don't want to think that he is, but
0: Orlando Brown would be a huge, huge signing. I mean, that would it's going to be a lot of money. He's from Duluth. He's Peachtree Ridge is where he went to school, and and so that would be a, a huge, huge um, addition. So we'll see. The offensive line is going to be really interesting to me. All right, D. Orlando Ledburner also mentioned Nate Davis, a guard from Tennessee, who is a free agent, and he played for Arthur Smith with the Titans. He was drafted in the third round out of Charlotte back in 2019. He started 12 of 13 games at right guard as a rookie. He's played 55 games, 54 starts. And the they, he said the Falcons were set at right guard, of course, the Chris Lindstrom I'm going to have to move Davis to the troubled left guard spot that saw five different starters in 2023. And he also mentions uh, the kid from the Eagles and the kid from the Broncos I mentioned there as well. The uh, other two players he mentions is Rock Yasin, who is a former All-State wrestling champion from Southwest Cab, who was drafted in the second round by the Colts in 2019 out of Temple, then played three seasons at left cornerback in Indianapolis after – before getting traded to Las Vegas, he had two interceptions last year. Uh, could move to the right side, play some nickel. He's a strong man-to-man press cornerback. Falcons need to improve their man-to-man coverage, no doubt about that. Then he mentioned Alex Antelone from the Lions. He was drafted in the third round in 2017 by the Saints. He started all 17 games to the Lions last season and could replace Rashad Evans if he leaves in free agency and could help mentor Troy Anderson, the Rashad, Rashad Evans decision is going to be interesting, Russ, because they they've said that they want him back, uh, but he may be r- trying to get a really good contract after a really good year.
1: Yeah, right. And he 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 may have the opportunity to be able to do that. But you know, it's you can spend your cap space on your own people too. But, you know, and and the other thing about Evans, Bill, is that it go, I go back to the thing that we don't know, and that's the three four four three conversation, too. Because right. if they're going to a 4-3, I mean, he may be kind of squeezed out. I don't know how they feel about Troy Anderson right now. Uh, but, you know, if they feel like they've got somebody that can play in the middle uh, in, in a 4-3, then, you know, they can move on and spend that money somewhere else versus where if you're going to be in a 3-4, you know, you're going to want to have two guys back there. Now, and I know – in, in, in today's football, it's you're, you're talking about 40 percent of the time. But still, when you talk about stopping the run, that's your base package that that you're using to do it. So that, that I think that that the scheme question there could be a factor in that decision as well. Absolutely, no no doubt about it.
0: Now I wanted to mention as well that Josh Kendall, who's on with Russ and Daniel on the midday show, um, and I like Josh a lot. I think he's a really good writer, a really good reporter. He had another. Mock draft for the Falcons up today, and he took in the first round at number eight, Peter Skaronsky, the offensive lineman from Northwestern that we've talked a lot about. And, and look, this is the kind of pick that if this happened, then Russ, if the the Falcons signed a Nate Davis from Tennessee, signed a Mike McGlinchey from San Francisco, Skronsky would still fit. But and again, I, I just I think we're going to see one at least one free agent offensive lineman signing next week. And, and an offensive lineman, whether it's the first, second, or third round, I just I, I can't imagine we're not going to. But Skronsky
1: would make that a little bit easier because of his versatility, wouldn't he? He really would because you don't have to have, you know, anything necessarily set in stone as, as far as your offensive line is concerned. And, and you can go in with competition. There's flexibility there. You know, with Skronsky, if, if you sign an offensive lineman – and let's say for whatever reason he doesn't win a starting job Skronsky can back up everybody <laughs> you know so i think yeah. it's that, I, I think you and me both it sounds like are just the versatility with him or what we really like i'm i'm not going to be upset if it's broderick jones by any means i think he is
0: the best offensive tackle in this draft but Skronsky, yes he's he is attractive because of that versatility and i like him i have everything i've read i mean they say he's got short arms and, uh, I mean, we we dealt with Sam Baker with short arms for a couple of years, Russ. Can we deal with Skaronsky, too?
1: Yeah, especially if he's a guard or center. I, you know, I don't know yeah. if you want a T-Rex out there trying to play tackle. But, yeah. T-Rex. <laughs> okay. In the second round, Josh picked for the
0: Falcons, Adatamawa Atabori from Northwestern. Damn, Northwestern's got a lot of good players for a crappy team, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess there wasn't a whole lot around these guys. That's two picks from Northwestern. Where did Josh go to school? We may need to ask that question. Uh, the star of the combine, Adabari. Uh, we're going to have to call him AA, right? If he if he gets I, picked, he's AA. He's I can't times yeah two. yeah he he's the the football AA. Exactly. Weighs well, twice as much as the original AA, I'm sure, but <laughs> <laughs> he's got to be called AA. Um so ran a four four nine, a six two two eighty two. Golly, for a two hundred eighty two pounder to run four four nine is just ridiculous. That's pretty impressive, no question about that. So um anyway, he practiced against Rashawn Slater, who was a first round pick a year ago, and Skaronsky while with Northwestern, so there you go. All right, round three, he's got Devin O'Shane running back from a and I would love this. I mean, look, I know we've got Tyler Algier in the Falcons' backfield now. He's a very good young player. I wouldn't be surprised if they took another running back because uh, uh, they've they, they, they got to kind of leave Patterson at one spot, you would think, or, and I still think they need another running back. He also mentions uh, A.T. Perry, the wide receiver, that he had um, – Pick before, and that's the kid from Wake Forest. Jacorian Bennett, cornerback from Maryland, the fourth round pick. And then in the in the other fourth round pick is interesting to me Zach Kuntz, K U N T Z, the tight end from Old Dominion. Now, this guy was 6'7, 255. He ran a four five five forty 40 yard dash, had a vertical jump of 40 inches, and a broad jump of 10 feet, 8 inches. And he had missed most of last year due to injury, but he was very impressive in the in the uh, combine the other day, Russ. And, you know, this is kind of like, all right, if you can't get Darnell, if you can't move up into the first round and get Darnell, maybe get this guy. And, I mean, he, he went to Old Dominion, but pretty impressive numbers there for a, a big kid. Measuring at six seven and three eighths, two fifty five,
1: uh, a very athletic kid for that size. I'm glad tight ends on their list. Yeah, well, you know, and they because they, they'll run two and three tight end sets, so I, I don't think in this offense you can really have too many. And I think Koontz might be, you know, if they were if they were able to pull that off and get him in that slot, I mean, that could be one of the steals of the draft right there because for his size, he's incredibly athletic. Absolutely. Round five, he picks Aiden O'Connell from Purdue, the quarterback who he had picked
0: before. Then Justin Shorter, wide receiver from Florida in round seven. And another running back, Mohamed Ibrahim from Minnesota in pick 247 in the seventh round. So just some ideas from Josh Kendall on what he think could happen for the Falcons in the draft. We're going to take a break. Up next, we'll talk – baseball the Braves two games are over we'll talk about what they did today right after this I wanted to mention that Frank Sulkowski of WJCL in Savannah is reporting that the Georgia Southern men's basketball coach Brian Berg will not have his contract renewed Berg led the Eagles to a forty-two and forty-four overall record in three seasons in Statesboro, Georgia Southern went twenty-one and twenty-nine in the conference uh, of, under Coach Berg, and so they will be looking for a new head coach. Russ, you surprised?
1: Uh, no, no. Uh, unfortunately, I can't say that I am, and and I hate that because yeah, you know, it's it's he's, Brian Berg's a very likable guy, but you know the the record is what it is, so um, I'm yeah. not surprised. All right, we'll see um, what.
0: Georgia Southern does moving forward and looking for a new head basketball coach. Now the baseball with the Braves. They're down in Florida playing a split squad pair of games today. First of all, they played Puerto Rico in the uh, preparation for the WBC. Braves won that game 9 to nothing. Max Freed, God help us sign this man up. Oh, Lord. Four scoreless innings. Two hits, no walks, five strikeouts. Pretty good performance. Kirby Yates, another good performance. Scoreless innings. Yet to give up a run so far. Very good sign for Kirby Yates. Jackson Stevens is yet to give up a run so far. He had a scoreless inning, two walks, however. Michael Tonkin, a kid, will probably be in AAA. Gwinnett had a scoreless inning, gave up uh, two hits, but two strikeouts, and uh, that's about it. Home runs in this game. Uh, no home runs. Ozzy had an RBI. Grissom had an RBI. Sean Murphy, Azuna, and Riley all had RBIs. You had two hit performances from Sean Murphy, Ozzie Albies, Michael Harris, and that's it. Braves win 9 to nothing against Puerto Rico. In the other game, Atlanta lost 3-1 to one to Toronto. Spencer Strider pitched for the Braves, pitched three in the third inning's Three hits, one run. It was a home run. No walks and five strikeouts. His ERA in the spring is now 1.08. The other pitcher for Atlanta of note is Bryce Elder. He came in and pitched three innings, two runs, uh, two hits, one walk, and three strikeouts. Uh, The uh, outfielder trying to win a job for Atlanta as a reserve, Sam Hilliard. Uh, Hit a home run for the Braves, his first of the spring. Let's see who else played. The Braves only had four hits in the game. Uh, Hilliard actually had two of those four hits, and uh, a couple of the minor leaguers had the other one. So that was more of a minor league lineup for the Braves as they were on the road for that game. They had um, about the only regular they had was, well, he's, not really a regular, but Orlando Arcia was in the lineup playing shortstop with Vaughn Grissom in the other game. I think Vaughn Grissom is in control, by the way, of the of the uh, shortstop competition, if you want to call it that. Forest Wall, who's had a very good spring over three today. And Eli White, another player who's had a very good spring, uh, did not get a hit either. He was 0 for three. I tell you what, the Braves now are going to have a very good triple A team. And they're going to have a great list of players available to them if needed, when needed, when injuries happen. And uh, this is important. I mean, look, uh, we we find out every year that over the course of a six-month season, players are going to need a break. They're going to get hurt. They're going to get sick, so forth and so on. I mean, stuff happens. And so the, the talent that you can have down at AAA, now I'm not talking about people who are, are, are going to come up and win jobs from established starters, but players who can come up and hold their own and do the job for a short period of time. Now, those are players that over time, if they were still in the big leagues, they'd probably get exposed for being the quad A or mediocre player that they are. Uh, because they would be in the big leagues if, if they were that good. But I think you still want players who can at least contribute to your game, to your team, and have some element, whether it's defense or speed. You know, if someone's got big-time power, they're probably going to be in the big leagues. They're probably not going to be in AAA. But if you know if you've got something to bring to the table, and Hilliard's a good defensive player – Um, Jordan Luplo, good defensive player. Eli White can run. He's someone that Alex Anthopoulos brought on this team, and he has been very impressive so far in spring training. So I like what he's assembled as far as the backups for this team. Uh, Triple-A is almost like your practice squad roster. And I know they did this during COVID where it was a lot of back and forth and you kind of had a practice squad or taxi squad, whatever you want to call it, kind of traveling along with you. Well, you know, AAA is kind of like that. They're just playing in a different league and a different level. But you have to have talent for that, and I, I do like what the Braves have done. But look, let's not bury the lead here. Two good performances from Max and Strider, Russ. I mean, we continue, I think, to just see very good pitching from this team in spring training.
1: Yeah, you're definitely going to have a solid one-two punch at the top. We know that, and just hope everything can fall into place with the three, four, and five slot. Which I mean, and then kind of to piggyback on what you're saying about Gwinnett, we know how good that pitching staff's going to be down there. So, you know, there's going to be competition, which you like to see. So, I think this pitching staff is just going to be out of this world this year because you've got, I mean, right there at the top with Max and Spencer Strider. I think going into the season, it's fair to say you've got two guys that could be in contention for the Cy Young Award at the end of the season. And one question I want to ask you real quick before the top of the hour, Bill, have we checked on Skip today with the Braves playing Puerto Rico. I mean, was he kind of torn there? <laughs> well, if he was, he wasn't torn after Puerto Rico got pasted there. <laughs> <nine to nothing. laughs> he
0: was probably okay with the Braves, Braves winning. But, uh, yeah, and look, Puerto Rico, Yeah, I mean, you know they got talent. You don't even have to look at the roster, yeah. right? You know they've got some – Got some pretty good t- talent on that on that team. Lindor was on that team. Kiki Hernandez from Boston's on that team. Uh, Javier Baez from Detroit. Um, Eddie Rosario, of course, on that team. So, yeah, heck yeah, that was that was good win for for the Braves. And fun to see him doing well. Fun to see the pitching doing well. That uh, pitching doing well early on will go a long way of doing what we want them to do, and that is get off to a really good early start. For the Braves in 2023. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show.